Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and I've been the pastor here for about 13 years, and it's my privilege to fill this pulpit on most Sundays. I take a Sunday off every now and then, but I uh, appreciate you being here. If you are new and have never grabbed one of the devotionals that we make available to all of our visitors, we'd love for you to grab one. I've written three of these, and uh, you can grab them in order if you want, but uh, they get better as they go along. I kind of learned what I was doing, okay? I had no clue what I was doing when I started, but... Uh, the new one will be out in a couple of months, and so we, we give these to all of our visitors, and hopefully it's a little more meaningful than just a coffee mug or something like that. Hey, we're in a, a sermon series that we're called Walking uh, in Truth, and we're, I think this is only the third week of that. And as I was, um, I'm, 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 uh, I'm elderly now, and because <laughs> I, I got my Medicare card this week, so I'm elderly. And um, one, one uh, characteristic that elderly people have is we don't sleep well at night anymore. And so when I'm uh, awake in the middle of the night, I do something that probably is the worst thing I could do to get me back to sleep, and that's scroll Facebook and, and YouTube and all that. And as I was doing that one night this week, I found this um, meme, or well, it's not a meme, but it's this quote. I don't know who Caleb lines is and I'm I'm not meaning I'm not I'm not meaning to cut him down or anything it's just it was he's proud of it so he posted it so but this is a, a look and into the modern mindset but it's also a look into what is out there in the church of Jesus Christ you have to be careful where you go to church if you're looking for biblical teaching so Reverend Lyons says the goal is not to bring people to Christianity the goal is to bring people to love, just at a g generic word love, which is used generically as meaningless. Because as I've told you many times, um, I love my wife, I love my boys, I love Frosties at Wendy's. And we use the same word for all of that. So it's really, a, it's really a meaningless word in our society. It has to be defined. The Bible has four different words that gets translated love, and the Greek language is a lot more specific. Um, if that's through Christianity, fine. If it's another religion or no religion at all, fine. What the world needs is what the world needs now. It, yeah, thank you. Um, is love, not more people professing right belief. Um, do you know you can be a really loving person and go to hell? You can be a really kind person and go to hell. You can love like Jesus loved and go to hell if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, is the great commandment for us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our neighbor as ourselves? Of course it is, but it's to be able to love God as God has revealed, to, revealed himself in his word. Love is not the goal love should be part and parcel to who we are but love is not the I, I can love and it'll do me no good spiritually it'll it can do me really a lot of good temporally but will do me no good eternally unless that love is rooted and based in God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ now that truth is anathema to this world today. 
and will be anathema to the students at Ohio State that Frank Turek will talk to. And so this is just a little glimmer of, of the, the flavor of the day in the world today and the way the world thinks and uh, the common worldview of, of people. The anchor verse for our series, Walking in Truth, um, is 3 John uh, verse 4 that says, I have no, great, no greater joy than know that my children are walking in truth. Now, when John wrote that, he wasn't referring to his biological children. He was referring to children that he's of the faith, that he is brought up in the faith, but is applicable to biological children. Just last night I had a conversation with um, a mom and dad who were just telling me their, about their daughter who goes to secular campus, and they were just so proud of their daughter because she's standing for Christ. She's involved with several Christian groups on campus and handing out literature on campus and leading people to the Lord, discipling people. And they were just so proud of their daughter. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. And moms and dads, if your kids are little, it's a lot easier to get them to walk in truth if you start them that way. To make mid-course corrections when they're in their teens is not impossible, but it's a lot more difficult. And the chances of your children walking in truth are much greater, mom and dad, if you walk in truth. God can do anything, and there's been many, there's been absolutely many um, occasions of, of parents that had no church affiliation, but God got a hold of their son or daughter. But we had, at men's Bible study the other night, we had 22 guys there. And I went around, as we started, I went around and asked them all if they were raised in church. 22 guys that were at Bible study on Tuesday night. And every one of them said they were raised in church. The seed that is planted. As you look at your kids right now, you wonder if you're planting a seed, don't you? <laughs> uh, it takes root. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. So the verse we're going to launch from today in this message, this message in our series here is, is a very familiar, a very familiar verse. It's from John 8 and Jesus speaking to the Jews who had believed in him. Don't pass by that. He's talking to believers here. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in it wasn't talking to the crowds he wasn't talking to unbelievers he was talking to people who believed in him he says if you hold to my teaching if you hold to my teaching then you are really my disciples and verse 32 says then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Can I tell you that freedom, there's a big difference in freedom. There's, the difference is in knowing the truth and experiencing the truth. And this word, when this word know is used here, it's not a, it's not a, a know intellectually. It's an experiential know. Freedom is the difference between knowing the truth and experiencing the truth. And this word that's translated 
know here is, is, is all through his, God's word is not used as, a, as a, just an intellectual knowledge. In fact, you know, one place is used. It says Joseph did not know Mary. Until they were married. It's an experiential, it's the same word. It's not just an intellectual truth. All of you know some things. All of us know some things intellectually that we don't put into practice in our lives. That is really meaningless to us in our lives. All of that. Okay. I know that Ole Miss beat LSU last night, but that has no bearing in my life other than I'm kind of tickled because I don't like the Bengals, the Bayou Bengals anyway. Okay. But that doesn't have any effect in my life. It doesn't have any effect at all in my life. I know it. And Jesus said to people who believed in him. Isn't that fascinating? He said, if you hold to my teaching, you will really, really be my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a difference between intellectually knowing something and experiencing something. Can I say this? There's a difference between intellectually knowing it and knowing it in the place where you make the decisions in your life. And I, I, I call that, and it's probably not the best way to say it, I call it my gut. The difference between knowing things in my head and knowing it in my gut. If I know it in my gut, then I live by it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about some people on judgment day. And he says, I, I, I tell them plainly, I never knew them. Away from me. Now, Jesus <clears throat> is uh, omniscient. He knows all. So he knew who this person was. He knew their name. He knew where they were raised. It's not what he, he's not talking about that kind of knowing. He's not talking about that kind of knowing. There would be some on judgment day that Jesus would say, I never knew you. Doesn't mean I've never been introduced to you. He says, I never knew you away from me. There's a difference between intellectually. The freedom that he talks about in knowing the truth is not an intellectual type of knowledge. It's a knowledge where you make decisions. It's in your gut. Jesus says in John chapter 10, Jesus writes, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He's not talking about knowing their name. He's not talking about knowing who they are. He's talking about it in an experiential way. Just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, friends, there's a, there, there's a knowing that is more than just knowing. Can I say that that way? And if you know the truth, Jesus said there's freedom in that. If you know it that way. Talking to somebody last night, we were talking about mutual friends and they re referred to the person and they said, um, well, they believe in God. They believe in a heaven or hell. Well, they never attend church and don't seem to be interested in 
Christianity too much, even though they believe there's a God and believe there's a heaven or hell. See, they don't know him. They know him. I was, I don't know, 31. I wasn't saved. I was 34. I was 31 and living in Terre Haute, Indiana. And some people from the local Baptist church knocked on my apartment door one night and came in and witnessed to me. I was polite. I was raised in a Christian home. I had too much fear of God to be rude to them. I let them, I let them share the gospel with me. And I said, you know what, ma'am? I believe everything you say but I'm just not ready to submit myself to it. They didn't know how to respond. I said, ma'am, I believe everything you say. Do I believe that Jesus came and died on a cross for me? I I believe that, but I I knew enough about the Christian life to know that it's more than just a intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. I I said, I'm just not ready to submit to it. I'm not ready to deal with the life change that I know takes if I'm serious and about a commitment to Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people can say they do believe, but their life shows you something completely different. You know, personally, in 28 years of ministry, I found out that, that pe- people who say they believe and understand the spiritual things, but don't, there's no exhibition of that in their life, they were just like me. They did not want to submit to the truth. You see, you know where I was at 31? I wanted to sin. And I didn't want to stop my sinning. That's where I was. And it wasn't until three years later that circumstances of my life got to such that I finally gave in. And bowed my knee to his lordship. What it means to know? <laughs> Don't fool yourself. That's what it means to know. There's a difference between this intellectual stuff and just down in your gut. I want you to also know that, that the, the verse says that the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free free doesn't say a truth doesn't say your truth doesn't say my truth it says the truth will set you free well you Christians you're you're such bigots you're so intolerant so self-righteous well um, if we're Christians today uh, which, which pretty much means that we adhere to God's word and can't really pick and choose what we like and what we don't like in it. Um, it, it, it means that we've accepted the truth. And the truth is exclusive, as I told you last week. And that's a, that's a, hor- that's a bad cuss word in our society. Because a major league thing in our society is, is in inclusivity. And Jesus was inclusive as much as he can be. He says, whosoever wills can come. But when you come, you walk a very narrow road. And there's, 
only one way on that road. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the Christian road that we all have to walk. See, it's the truth. And, and wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to be that way? People would like us a lot more, you know? Now, I'm not saying we were rude by that, but the truth is that we believe we have the truth. And because our Bible won't let us believe anything else. The Bible, it's, the, it's just the old C.S. Lewis thing. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus either was who he said he was or he was a liar or a lunatic. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground that Jesus is one of the great teachers along the way. That's just absurd. Jesus didn't reveal himself as a good moral teacher. He, he chose not to do that. He made me and he made you make a decision about him. And when you make that decision, it cuts a whole lot else out. Aren't you glad that we have a God that revealed the truth and doesn't have to make us guess what the truth is? The, the, the verse says, the truth will set you free. But as we've talked about for the first two weeks, we, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we get this phrase called my truth, your truth. Well, that's truth for you, but it's not truth for me, which absolutely is a non-thinking statement because the word truth and saying that you can have a different truth than me just totally defies the nature of the word truth. And they'll say there's no absolute truth. And as I said last week, when they say there's no absolute truth, they're making an absolute statement. It's not logical. They don't think through it. The truth will set you free. And, and if, if I'm a believer in Christ, I have to adhere to the truth that he presented. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And I could go on and on. It's the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 is, is, a, is a passage that's rich, and I just, I'm just going to be able to touch on it. But Paul writes, we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. That is so, so important. We live in the world, but the war that we rage is a spiritual war, but we don't wage it the way the world wages it. We just don't. You know, I took a stand five, six, seven months ago on that whole um, Xenia, YMCA stuff, you know. Do you know the, the emails that I got? The vitriol. The intimidation that I got, people put Bud Light cans in my mailbox. I kind of love it, to be quite honest with you. And it means I'm hitting the right target, probably. But see, we don't wage war that way. We don't. We don't wage war that way. We have to wage war. But we don't wage war as the world does.
we, we're in October 1st, so it's going to get hot and heavy till election day on this abortion thing in Ohio. We've, we had some, you may have already taken them. We had some literature. We'll have some more literature out there on how we need to vote no in November. And so I did as I usually do. So several Facebook go, groups I'm part of, you know, I posted importance of saying no and protecting the innocent above us. And they, they can't, they don't push back with arguments. They just talk about how much of a bigot I am. They just don't have arguments. And I just say insults aren't arguments. We don't wage war as the world does. We wage war. But we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary. I'll, I'll say this. That's why we don't put our faith in politics. Okay? We have our political opinions. All of us do, and I'm, mine are as strong as, probably stronger than most of you. But that's not what we put our hope in. The world puts their hope in that. That doesn't mean we don't get involved in the political uh, realm. and doesn't mean that we don't speak up. But we don't put any hope in that. Politics, will die. Politics aren't eternal. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds is a biblical word for addictions. And addictions means a whole lot more than just drugs. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? The truth. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have weird thoughts come through our minds, don't we? I don't care how Christian we are. We have weird thoughts pop through our minds, but thoughts don't make us do anything. We don't have to act on thoughts. And when that weird thought comes through my mind, I take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. I'm not a slave to that thought. I'm not a slave to that thought. God, I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it came from the world. I don't know if it came from the flesh. I don't know if it came from the enemy, but I don't want to ever think that again. I've had, I've had people talk about their thoughts and, and, and you know, say, well, the only, only thing the church does is tell me to pray about it. Well, br friends, it's the strongest weapon you have. But you know the problem with prayer? You've got to really mean it when you pray. And I found a whole lot of people may pray that they want something taken out of their life, but they don't really mean it. They may feel guilty about it. They may know it shouldn't be in their life, but they don't care enough to really mean their prayer. We take thought, every, every, every thought we take a captive that comes up against the knowledge of God, that comes up against the truth. See, it's the truth. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. Why isn't it my truth or your truth? We've got a marvelous gift of God within this skull. It's an unbelievable gift of God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says we can't trust our truth because our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts can fool us, and every one of you will know that's true. And so when we think something that's opposed to the truth, 
we take it captive. And even though I may feel it in my heart or I may think it in my brain, I take it captive because it's opposed to God's truth. My, my heart is deceitful above all things. And, and it's beyond cure. God, God moves on us and the Bible says he gives us a new, new, new heart. But if you're a halfway honest Christian, you know that there's weird stuff that comes into your heart and your mind. And when it does, I take it captive. I can't just call it my truth because it comes in violation or is opposed to the truth. Another reason that my truth and your truth doesn't work out is, is because we're biased. Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears right to me. There's a way that appears right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears right to me. You know why? Because I'll take the road of least resistance. Human beings will take the road of least resistance. Human beings will take the road that everyone else agrees with. Human beings will take the road that nobody will give them any grief about taking that road. But Jesus said, you got to stay off of the broad way because it's only on the narrow way that you find truth. And Jesus said, this, this Jesus person who even the world would admit is the greatest, most loving person of all time, greatest moral teacher, greatest example, said, you better be on this narrow road and there's going to be few that find it. What an exclusive person Jesus was. And anybody can get on it. That's how inclusive he was. Anybody can get on it. But he says, you know what? Few people are going to find it. You truth, your truth, my truth. It doesn't work. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us another reason that it doesn't work. Ephesians chapter 4 says, talking about once we understand the truth and digest the truth, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. In 28 years, do you know some of the things that Christian people have sent me that were so heretical. And they, it was so heretical because they yet didn't have full knowledge of the truth. There's so much teaching out there, friends. So much teaching out there. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching Believe this teacher, believe that teacher, YouTube, Facebook, TV. They're just blown away by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Can you go to the next slide, please? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we must grow. You, you know the reason that it's not your truth, my truth, is because all of us got a lot of growing up to do. There's not a single one of us that have reached the pinnacle of the faith. I've told you this a hundred times. Founder of Asbury College in the last message he ever preached, one week before he died, 93 years old, title of message was the new things God is teaching me. We all need to grow up and I need it more than anybody else. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become the very in every uh, respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
I just don't ever see biblically there's a point that you get to that you don't ever have to grow anymore. And there's not new things that he can be teaching you. I hope that you are like me. And as you read your Bible or as you listen to teaching, that quite frequently you say, wow, never really, never really understood that before. Happens to me all the time. I do this for a living, friends. And it happens to me all the time. This light bulb goes on. Why, Mark? Because I haven't grown up yet. There's, there's a process of maturity that we're all on. <laughs> we're talking about the truth. We're not talking about a truth. We're not talking about your truth. We're not talking about my truth. John 8, what we said he said, if you will hold to my teaching. So the key to freedom is holding to that teaching. Other translations say, if you will abide in my word, if you, if you will continue to do that. To the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the key to freedom is holding. It's abiding. It's continuing in the truth. If, he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. You know the number of people I've lived with the Lord, the number of people I've put in the baptistry that are living off in a far country right now? Well, they say, well, Mark, you're not a very good discipler. Every single pastor, if he's honest, that stands here could say the same thing. the number of people I've led the Lord, the number of people I've baptized, and the number of people that are way out in their far country now, it's depressing. If, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciple. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What does it mean to hold to the teaching, to continue in the teaching, to abide in the teaching. What well, it means to hear it, first of all, or to read it. I mean, wh where do you hear this? Where do you hear this stuff anywhere else unless in the church of Jesus Christ or, or maybe read it in, in some pastor that's written a book or some theologian that's written a book or maybe on a good YouTube video? You've got to hear this stuff. You've got to read this stuff. You've got you to ingest it. You've got to believe it. You've got to trust it. You've got to utilize it. You've got to use it in your life. You've got to refer to it. It's just not something you, you put in your brain or a verse you've, you've memorized. What's the, the only reason you ever memorize verses is so you can utilize it in your life. There's no other reason to memorize verses other than I can live by it and to be able to utilize it in my life. And that's what it means to hold, to continue, to live by, to abide in my word. And Jesus says, if you do that, if you do that, then you are really my disciples. Then you are really, really my disciples. And the truth will set you free if you do that. <laughs> 
We're talking about freedom this morning. It's the truth that sets you free. We said it's a difference between a not intellectual knowledge and down wherever you make decisions in your life. We, 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 we've said it's, it's the freedom comes from believing the truth. We said the freedom comes when you hold, when you continue, when you abide in my truth. So what is this freedom, Mark? What are we getting freed of, Mark? What is this? What, what do we need freedom from, Mark? Why do I have to be set free, Mark? Well, the truth of the matter is that the freedom Jesus offers is a power from the bondage of sin. That's the freedom he offers. And that's found right in the context of this passage. I just didn't make that up. If ever I start making stuff up and giving you my opinion, you just need to leave this church and go to somewhere else that's biblical. My opinion doesn't mean nothing. My opinion will not help you. But God's word will help you. And in the very context, the very context of our passage this morning, and says where it says in John chapter 8, verse 31, John 8, 31 says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then verse 33 says, they answered him, well, we are Abraham's descendants. Hey, we're the Jews. We're some special people. We have a special past. We're a special class of people. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we need to be set free? Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. The power that Jesus offers, the power for freedom, is a freedom from the bondage of sin. I'm not talking about a sinlessness, but I am talking about a sinning a lot less. I'm not talking about a sinlessness. You know, you know, you know how you can tell people that are really mature in Christ? They're very knowledgeable and very sensitive to their sin in their life. And when it comes into their life, they repent of it and say, I don't want everyone to do that again. And they get on with their Christian life. A really mature Christian is not a person who says, well, you know, I have sinned for 37 years. That person has zero clue of the depths of sin and how, how the depths of, of how it pervades soul and mar bone and marrow. But the truth of the matter is the freedom that Jesus offers is a freedom from the bondage of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, and I remember now, Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, he described how you're saved, how you're justified by faith. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Now, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under law, you're under grace. Sin is always your master if you're under law, and the only thing you have are thou shalt and thou shalt not. But friend, we're under grace, and grace is a whole lot more than just a, a, a gift that gets you to heaven. Grace is a power that allows you to leave the sinful life. Don't underestimate grace. It's the grace of God that changes you, that revolutionizes you, that transforms you from the inside out. It's not just a free ticket to heaven. That's, bla that's blasphemy. Go to 
Galatians 5, 6, 10, Jesus says, so, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know when I sin? You know one common denominator of all sin? I'm not walking in the Spirit. I am not, in other words, Paul uses this phrase as well, I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit. Well, people say, well, we just sin every day in word, thought, and deed. Blasphemy. What an insult and a slap in the face to God that is. What a slap in the face that is to his grace. That is a power to change you. When you say, well, I just sin, you know, that's all I can do. What you're really saying is, well, God's really not strong enough to keep me from sinning. You know, that's what you're saying. You don't know you're saying that, but that's exactly what you're saying. Well, God, you know, God just can't do anything about it. I just sin every day in word of thought. You know, when people have said that to me in my presence, I said, "Uh, how did you sin today? They can never tell me. It's just something they've heard. It's something that makes them sound humble. And something that absolutely contradicts the grace of God. One of my favorite four verses in all of scripture is Titus chapter two. We spent eight weeks preaching on this several years ago. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Sure it does. But you know what it does, that grace of God does? It teaches me to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly. Does that sound like sinning every day in word, thought, and deed? What does grace do? It teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Well, I know I'm going to live that one day. You know, I'll get to heaven. I'll live that one day. Paul said, no, I'll have none of that because this self-controlled, godly, upright, and godly life, he then says, is to be lived in this present age. You know, when I get to heaven, I'll be glorified and all sin will be taken away from me. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true, by the way. But Paul says this grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright in this present age. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. Yes, it's a free gift that, that God gives me and acceptance of his grace Starts my journey to heaven, but it's so much more than just getting saved. Do, do you know how few verses there, in, there are in the Bible about getting saved? You know how, how piddly few verses there are in the Bible about getting saved and how many verses, gobs of verses there are that now you are a Christian, this is how you are to live. If you took a highlighter and had a, a yellow highlighter and highlight all the verses in the Bible that say how to be saved. Then took up another color highlighter and highlight all, all the verses that are basically, now that you are a Christian, this is how you are to live. It'd be all of that other color. Because you got grace. You're not under the law. You're not just a, a function of thou shalt and thou shalt not. The thou shalt and thou shalt nots couldn't save anybody. 
There's no power in thou shalt and thou shalt not. The purpose of thou shalt and thou shalt not, Paul says, is to tell you that you're a sinner. And grace was given so you can live out that Christian life. So, so he, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glory superior of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why did he do that, Paul? To redeem us from all wicked. I thought he did it so I could go to heaven. Well, yeah, but that's just a little bit of it. I mean, if, if that's all you think, Mark, you're an infant. You still need spiritual milk. You don't, you're not ready for the meat of the word. Who, who gave, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own eager to do what is good. That's what grace does. That's why Jesus re- redeemed you to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. <laughs> wow. Well, I just sin every day in word, thought, and deed. So grace is not strong enough, huh? You know there is no limit to the amount of transformation God can make in your life and in my life. Well, excuse me, I'm wrong about that. I'm, I'm sorry. There is a limit. And that limit is me. I'm the limit. I'm the limit. When I say, no, no, this far shall you come, God, no farther. I'm the limit. My free will is the limit. But when I submit to God in, in in a second way, it usually doesn't happen when you just accept Jesus as your Savior, as glorious that is. It's usually a deeper way. I was saved in August of 1993, and in March of 1994 at Hughes Auditorium in Asbury College, I knelt and I said, God, I don't know what it means to be wholly devoted to you, but I want that. And I said, I'm halfway scared to death what it would mean, but I want it. Romans chapter 12, you know this verse. Paul says, I urge you in light of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm so glad for the worship that we have up here. I'm so glad of that. But it's not, according to this, true and proper worship. True and proper worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Because I can come up here and, wee, feels pretty good. Like to sing, wee. Good beat. That's a whole lot different than offering yourself as a living sacrifice with Paul calls this is your true and proper. It doesn't doesn't discount this because there's many places in God's word that says this is really important. But Paul says this is your true and proper worship. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to know what God's will is when you know the truth 
And see, the transformation doesn't come, as I've told you a hundred times, the transformation doesn't come because he comes and hits you over his, hit your head with your holy baseball pad. It comes as your mind is changed and your stinking thinking gets changed to godly thinking. My thinking needs to change. It needs to be, my mind needs to be renewed. That's why I'm to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't have to be a genius to be a Christian, but you got to bring your brain to this thing. And so we finish this morning with a verse that is probably the reason the church of Nazarene exists, really. Because we've said this verse really means something. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. You remember the old translation? Sanctify you entirely. We exist as a denomination. The reason we came into being is because we believe God can do this work in our hearts. What's it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. God can sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's a, there's a deeper work. There's a deeper work where God comes and really reaches down in deeply and responds to your desire of wanting to be holy his but a lot of people don't want that they're just satisfied with going to heaven they you know because if i'm holy his that means i'll have to you know i won't be able to go there anymore or hang out with those friends oh mark you're such a you're, you're such a self-righteous snob. You s snub all your friends. No, I don't snub all my friends. Not self-righteous snob. You know why I don't hang out with some people I used to hang out with? It's because I'm vulnerable and I can't deal with the temptation they'll bring into my life. You see, I'm weak. I'm weak. And I know I'm weak. I can't hang around them anymore. Maybe one day I'll be mature enough to do that. But I know that when I get around those type of people, I'm susceptible to temptation and I can go along with the crowd. I'm weak. And because I'm weak, I have to set some boundaries in my life. Well, I could never, I could never, um, well, what the type of Christian life you're talking about, Mark, I could never do that. That's just, that sounds like a, I'd never have enough whatever it takes to do that. I, I know you don't. I don't either. That's why Paul says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You can't do this. I can't do this. This is a miracle of the grace of God. This is a miracle. You, you think it's a miracle to turn water into wine? It's a whole lot bigger miracle to take this O'Henry sinner and turn him into a sanctified man. But you got to want it. And you know, I've been in this 28 years and I found out a lot of people don't want it. They just don't want it. They just rather keep God at arm's distance and hope that's enough to get them to heaven.
And I hope it is. I really hope it is. But I don't, don't think it's positive to say no to God. And say this far shall you come God and no farther. I don't think that makes him smile. I don't think I have the favor of God on my life. I'm not, I'll say this one more time. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart that hates sin and wants nothing to do with it. And if it comes into my life, I repent of it quickly and get on with my Christian life. The one who calls you to this kind of life. Mark's not calling you to this kind of life. The church of the Nazarene is not calling you to this life. God is calling you to this this kind of life and he's faithful and he will do it if you will believe him. Not believe in him, believe him and his word. A lot of people believe in him. You got to take him at his word. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are. But some of you need this. And it's a simple asking, but not only asking, it's asking him and really meaning it. (laughs) The pure in heart, the, the folks who are transparent, the folks whose heart is just pure. And when I say something, I mean it. The pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8 says, we'll see God. I don't know where you are. Well, there's a whole lot of people that have met him in this kind of second way in the history of this church right here at this altar. And we close every one of our services at the communion table because all of this is bought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We used to sing there's power, power, wonder-working power. And that power is more than just going to heaven. That power is transformative power in my life so we do as we always do we we close at the table because it's Jesus's death that bought all this for us but some of you will want to kneel and talk to him about this sanctification thing whatever it is God I'm not sure I even know what it is but I know I need it Would you talk to him about that this morning? Our servers are coming to the table and you can do as we normally do and receive at the table or receive in the cups that you may have picked up when you came in. Or you can come and grab one of those cups and say, this this blood is powerful in my life. Would you do it for me? Make me into the person you want me to be. Our altars are open. Our tables are open. Let's continue to worship this moment.